Well, good morning. Good morning. I'm excited to spend some time with you again this morning. Uh, Pastor Carrie is traveling. She's taking her daughter off to college uh, this weekend. So she's down in Arizona um, doing that. And I'm grateful to be a part um, of something that's really special to us as a community, um, to these moments uh, where we can gather and attest to something, attest um, to us being changed or that we are changing through Jesus, um, that his love and his inclusion um, our lives have been changed. So if you're new to us this morning, um, whether you're online or if you're here, um, I'd like to welcome you. Um, we do things a little bit differently. We worship and we enjoy our time together. And then we like to fellowship together. And like what Stephen mentioned, um, we are kicking things off in the fall. Um, and starting with the fall party, we'll be resuming soul food every week, um, which will be a lunch that we gather together after service and spend some quality time uh, catching up and fellowshipping together. And that's a big part of who we are. So that will be starting again in a couple of weeks, um, as well as the annual meeting on the 19th. Um, so our goal is to come together as a community, um, and our community is centered around a person, um, and that person is Jesus. Um, and like the spokes on a wheel of a bike with Jesus at our center, um, our lives overlap and intertwine and knit together. Um, that's what a Christ-centered community looks like, and that's what we hope to experience here. So welcome, um, and let me open us in prayer before we start here. Lord, we thank you for today. I thank you for the time that we get to share together. Lord, we thank you for what we're about to jump into this morning. Help us not to just hear it, but let, us, let it transform our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So as I mentioned, Carrie is away this weekend, and uh, we are currently closing in on a sermon series entitled Transformed. Acts and the early church, um, and she'll be jumping back into that uh, when she gets back next week. Uh, but this morning, we're going to go off on a little one-week tangent, um, and I wanted to touch base on the whole reason why we're here this morning, um, and that idea is being just like Jesus. Um, so my goal today in what time we have isn't to get into a bunch of ideas and philosophies. Rather, uh, I want to reflect on the story of Jesus through the first chapter of John. John 1, um, that we wouldn't just know about him, but hopefully we come to follow him and follow his way of life, how you and I can learn to follow Jesus in a greater way and become just like Jesus. Um, and this is a story for young and old, for little kids and old people, for everybody in between, and I'm excited to share this with you. So a little bit about the book of John and the intro to John. Um, it's a fascinating book. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, so the letter of John. So John had a brother. His name was James, and they were sidekicks. They were tag teams. They would work together. They were wealthy fishermen. Um, they worked with their dad. Uh, their dad's name was Zebedee, which is a pretty cool name. Uh, if you're, anybody else is wanting to have any kids and name their kids Zebedee, uh, that's a good one. Um, so John and James were working down uh, by the water, um, and Jesus came along, and he's walking by while they were fishing, and he's like, hey, come follow me. Um, so they dropped everything they were doing, and they decided to follow Jesus. Um, again, 
a little bit of a culture shock there if you're walking along um, or if you're working down in Lake Harriet and some random person came up to you and be like, hey, Stephen, come follow me. Probably not the same response in this day and age, but this was a very common thing uh, back in Jesus's time. Um, Jesus was a rabbi, he's a teacher, um, and during the time, rabbis would often go out and recruit people to follow them to spread their messaging and their good works. So this was a very common thing. It's not one of those cultish things that we might kind of uh, affiliate with that today. But back in Jesus' time, this was a very normal thing. Uh, The scholars believe that James and John were around the age of 14 or 15 when this happened. Um, And when John wrote this letter, they believe that he was in the age between 65 and 80. So this letter is an older man reflecting on his journey back in his life um, and his experiences with Jesus. Interestingly enough, when he started his journey, Jesus gave a pretty cool nickname to both John and James. He called them the Sons of Thunder. Um, it's It's a much better name than being called Doubting Thomas or one of the other nicknames in the Bible. Uh, But John was regarded to as one of the sons of thunder. And the reason is, is when James and John first started following Jesus, they were extremely zealous, extremely passionate, but they didn't know a lot about the ways of Jesus. Um, They had all this passion, but they didn't know what to do with it. Um, And there was a moment in Luke 9 when um, they were asked to go ahead into a town and prepare the way for Jesus. And they went into the town and uh, they asked if the people would uh, invite Jesus in, and the people were like, eh, I think we're good. So they went back to Jesus and said, hey, I don't think we're going to be welcome in this town. Should we just call down fire and burn them all? And Jesus is like, wait, hold up. I thought our message was of love, not, not burning people. So they had this fire, this passion, but they didn't really know what to do with it then. So that was John. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Proverbs 19.2. That was who John was at the beginning of the ministry. Passion without knowledge can be dangerous. But along the way of learning and traveling and spending time with Jesus, John goes from the son of thunder to the much-known nickname that we know now, the apostle of love. Son of thunder, apostle of love. It's a huge contrast. Now, I don't know if anybody in here would like that new nickname. <laughs> Come home from work. Hey there, Apostle Love. It's a pretty cool nickname. I, I don't know if it would work in my household, but it's worth a try. Um, so John gets called the Apostle of Love, and why is that? Well, through his writings, he mentions the word love 80 times. Eight zero, 80 times. He also mentions the word truth 45 times. And he mentions the word believe 100 times. So from that, we conclude that, in other words, John was hoping that we may believe the truth so that we may know and experience the love of Jesus. Believe the truth so that we might know and experience the love of Jesus. So in short, John is writing for you and I to discover that truth. And I love the book of John, like I mentioned. It's one of my favorites because it's meant so much to me in different stages of my life. Um, Augustine, one of the great heroes of the faith, said this about the book of John. He said, the book of John is deep enough for an elephant to swim and shallow enough for a child not to drown. If you're new to the faith, 
It's a very shallow pool. There's a lot you can get out of it without getting bogged down in the deep philosophies. But if you've been following Jesus for many years, you can also find a lot of deep insights in it at the same time. So it's a great place to start if you're looking to start somewhere to follow Jesus. Intro done. So here we are. So what is the goal today? Our goal, we are a community of people who have been loved, been included, and been changed by Jesus. And there are three things that I want to speak to today that we should constantly strive to do. Number one, we want to be like Jesus. Number two, we want to become like Jesus. And we want to do what Jesus did. This is what it means to be truly a Christian or a follower of Jesus, that I want to be with him, that I want to be in a relationship with him, that I want to become like him. I want to live like he lived, I want to love like he loved, and I want to do what he did. So if you would, there's Bibles underneath the chairs, grab them. The verses are going to be on the screen as well for those um, at home worshiping online. But we're going to read through the first 18 verses of John 1. So flip to John 1. It says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except, uh, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and they even rejected him. But to all who believed, everyone say believe. To everyone who believed him and accepted, everyone say accept. He gave the right to become children of God. So again, there's two sides of belief there. Believe and accept. They are reborn. Everyone say reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And when we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance we have received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So there's a lot in there. But this is my big point today. The more you know about Jesus, the more you'll want to follow Jesus. And that's my encouragement. If you get anything out of this today, 
That's my encouragement for you. Just get to know him more. Okay, so question. How many people when growing up had a hero? Does anybody want to share who their hero might be when they were growing up? It could be a person, it could be a cartoon, it could be a character. Joe? My brother. Your brother. Great, great. Anybody else? Anybody have a hero? Steven? A gymnast. Perfect. Mitch Gaylord? Perfect. Anybody else? Some people might not want to share their heroes. Someone that you admired, you wanted to become like that person. So for me personally, um, it's been a pretty busy 48 hours. Um, my greatest heroes, the people that I've always looked up to, um, have always worn the number seven shirt for Manchester United. Uh, I'm a very, very focused soccer person. Um, so whether that was Eric Cantona, Gary Pallister, David Beckham, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, so if you follow sport at all, you might have seen that over the last day and a half, Cristiano Ronaldo, the prodigal son, is returning to Manchester United after 12 years. Um, it's been a very emotional day uh, this past couple of days for me and a very stressful couple of days too uh, for what it's meant. Um, but it's, it's been the most liked Twitter response in the history of Twitter. It's been the most liked Instagram post in the history of Instagram. It's been a big thing for a lot of people. So here's the thing, John writes this book, and he doesn't write it just about theology, he writes it about his hero. Jesus is John's hero. He loved Jesus. Jesus loved John, and Jesus was his hero, to the point where he was like, I just want to be like Jesus. So when he writes this letter, he writes it from that point of view. He's like, hey, here's my friend Jesus, I want you to know about him. And I love this because you've got to ask the question, how can I follow someone that I can't see that's lived in the past? Like if you're saying to be a Christian is to follow Jesus, how can I follow in what John did? Could John literally follow Jesus? Yes. So how can we do that now? How can we follow someone that we can't see now? And the answer is to follow someone who we can't see, we simply need to study the example that they left. So therefore... The reason when we read this book, it's not because Christianity demands us to read this book. We read this book of John because we want to know who we are following. And not only that, we want to look at his example. We want to be with Jesus. We want to become like Jesus. And we want to do what Jesus did. And this is why we as Jesus followers, we love the book of John. Because John is writing from that point of view. I want you to know Jesus the way that I knew Jesus. So as we read the New Testament, the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all these guys followed Jesus. It was their eyewitness accounts of their relationship. They're all very similar, but they have a few different distinctions. Matthew, Matthew followed Jesus. He actually starts with the genealogy. If you look at kind of the first couple of books of Matthew, he starts with the genealogy. Anybody seen those commercials for Ancestry.com? Yeah. Discover your ancestry. Know about where you came. I know Meg and Jamie have done that um, kind of where you spit in the tube and you find out where you come from type of DNA tests. Um, why do we do that? Because we want to know where we came from. 
The same thing when Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, he wrote the genealogy of Jesus at the very beginning. Because even, he, even before he got to the, the baby in the manger bit, the reason is because the Jewish people did not believe that the Messiah could come without proof that he came from the lineage of David. So there was a reason there. Mark, and I love the book of Mark, because Mark is like, well, I don't really do the whole baby thing. Let's just jump forward to the baptism and we'll start there. Like, let's just like forget all that part. I don't do that well, so we'll do what I do well. Luke, Luke's a doctor and he writes like a doctor with extreme details. He starts with Jesus' birth and he even includes the songs that the angels were singing, what the, what the shepherds were doing, what they were talking about in great detail. He was a detailed person. But then we get to the book of John. And John doesn't start with any of those things. Um, it's believed that John wrote this gospel last. And when he wrote it, he's like, I don't want to speak to you about the event in history. I want to take you back to not Jesus the event. I want to take you back to Jesus the person. He says, before you even get to see what he historically did, I want to show you who he actually is my friend Jesus. So that's where we came to, John's way of describing Jesus. So again, I have lots of questions this morning, but did anybody grow up collecting any trading cards? Yeah, Stephen? Yeah, yeah. So I actually, I, I brought a couple of my favorites and I was looking back through them uh, last night and I had a couple of rookie cards. I had a Matumbo rookie card that I Googled and it's worth $3.50 and I'm like, yes, that's great. Uh, I've got one of my favorites, uh, my favorite rugby player, Andrew Johns, that's his rookie card. Uh, my favorite cricketer, again, I'm from Australia, so a couple of different sports here, if you didn't know. Uh, Michael Bevan was one of my favorites. Um, and then I've got a plethora of all my Manchester United uh, players. Um, so I, I grew up with trading cards. And again, a lot of American sports, we made it over to Australia when I was growing up as well. Um, but again, that, this is what John's doing. He's like, this is my friend Jesus, right? This is Jesus on the playing card. But let me turn it over and read you his stats. I want you to understand who he is. I want you to see the backside of the card as well. Here is Jesus, but let me show you about him. So this is what John says. Point number one, Jesus is the power and creator of life. So first and foremost, John says, Jesus is power. Now, anybody a Star Wars fan? Anybody follow Star Wars, like Star Wars? Um, Jamie and I, we go every single time there's a new movie out in the cinemas. We have like a, a bro date and we, we go to the movies. We've been doing it for a couple of years. Um, so if anybody wants to join, it's an open, open welcome. Uh, but Star Wars, the whole idea of Star Wars, George Lucas wrote the storyline based on the idea of the Force, right? May the Force be with you. Everybody knows that little quote. Now, in its simplest description, the force is energy. It's power. There's good power. The Jedis use it. There's negative power. The Sith Lords use it. Um, and even through this entire movie, the, the idea of a greater power and energy is there. In history, there's always been this idea that there's a greater power. There's a greater energy um, in the world. The Greeks, the deep thinkers, the ones who basically invented philosophy, thought that surely there's got to be something more than this life. There must be a power out there. 
And this is the context in which John writes in the beginning of John 1. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Now, honest question. Anybody who's ever read that has been like, man, John, what are you talking about? Well, yeah, definitely me. What are you even talking about? But the key here is the letter was written in Greek. It was written for Greek people. And when the word word was used, it wasn't the word like we use in the communicating. So there are three different ways in which the Greeks would articulate, articulate this word. Ethos, pathos, and logos, if you could throw that one up there. So that can be described in three different ways. Let me explain. Ethos. Ethos was to appeal to somebody's ethics. This is where we get that word ethics from, ethos. Pathos is to appeal to somebody's emotions. And logos was to appeal to somebody's logic or reason. And this, in this verse, John is referring to the word logos. In the beginning was the reason. So if I can paraphrase the first little bit, in the beginning, the creative power or the divine reason already existed. The creative power or divine reason was with God. The creative power or divine reason was God. So it kind of changes the whole idea of what that means. In other words, John's like, hey guys, the power that you think is out there, that mystical energy that you think was created in the universe, it's not just out there. It's not an ethereal thing. It's actually a person. And that person's name is Jesus. That's what John is trying to get over to us. We live in a world right now that still believes to a degree there's an energy out there. I'm just going to thank the universe, and I'm hoping that the universe will bring me good luck or bring good things to me. I believe in the Big Bang, a lot of these types of things. But again, with the Big Bang, what happened before that? Because even science and philosophers got stuck with this point. How could nothing create something out of nothing? And the Greeks said, it's logos, it's this power, it's this energy. And John says, no, 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 it's not this energy, it's not a power, it's a person called Jesus. Jesus was there in the very beginning, but he was... But not only was he the power, he was also the creator. He created everything. So this summer has been a pretty hot one. It's been a pretty hazy one. But the benefit to that is it's created some incredible sunrises and sunsets this summer. Um, we've been able to experience some pretty amazing ones here in Minnesota. I was able to experience some pretty cool ones in Utah a couple weeks ago. Um, and it's... These are the types of experiences that just stop you in your tracks, right? I don't know what it is about nature. I don't know what it is about sunrises and sunsets. But sometimes you just have to stop and be like, wow, like it's unreal. Um, this is Bryce Canyon, and those are the hoodoos in Bryce Canyon. Sometimes you just need to stop a little longer and say, wow. Wow for Instagram and then wow for yourself first. <laughs> But again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's about sharing what you've experienced and sharing what you've seen there. So when you've had that wow moment at a sunrise or a sunset or a scenic view, can I ask you a question? Who do you thank? Who do you thank? Because John is saying, when you see that and you say wow to yourself, 
you should be saying, wow, thank you, Jesus, for giving me this. You made that sunrise. You made that sunset. You made the valley that I'm looking at. You made the lakes that I walk along. He was the creator in the very beginning. And guess what? He created for you and I to enjoy. He wants you to go, wow. But he doesn't just want you to say, wow, that's cool. He wants you to go, wow, God, you're amazing. So catch this, Colossians 1.16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The reason why you might feel so restless sometimes when you don't have a relationship with God is because you were designed by Him for Him. And your heart will be restless until it finds rest in Him. And this is what John is saying. He was the reason in the beginning. And the reason why things might not make sense sometimes is because you're not connected to that reason. Jesus. And when you connect to Jesus, guess what? He's the guy who created everything for you to enjoy. And he also created you to enjoy him. For you to be in a relationship with him. That's why he made you. Not just to exist. He made you to be in a relationship with him. And that was his plan from the beginning. So I'm a parent of two kids, Sawyer and Lockie. Um, and Meg and I, um, it's actually Meg's birthday today. Um, so make sure you wish her a happy birthday, put her on the spot. Uh, but Meg and I have brought them into the world. Um, and my question for you, if you're a parent, why do people have children? Simple question. Sometimes I might ask myself that a little bit more than other times, but why do people have children? Honest question. I think for the majority of people, if I can speak for those majority, the reason you had children is to enjoy it and for them to enjoy you. I think that's kind of the whole purpose of, of having children. That's why you have kids. And that's why God made you too. God made you because he wanted to enjoy relationship with you. But he also wanted you to enjoy a relationship with him. He is a power, but he's also the creator of life. Point number two, Jesus came to give light and life. Jesus came to give life and light to anyone who receives him. First and foremost, Jesus is life. So in verse four, it says, the word gave life. Everyone say life. The word gave life to everyone that was created and his life brought light to everyone. This word life, we could think about a lot of different things. We could think about taking your first breath of air, right? As a baby, first breath of air in the morning. That's Jesus' gift to me, life, right? Yes, it was, but John's not talking about that type of life, right? John is talking about the Greek word, which is zoe. It's a zoe life. It wasn't just life, I'm breathing air on the planet. It was a type of life. Zoe is the absolute, fullest, genuine, blessed, authentic, real life. That's what a Zoe life is. 
So when you have a relationship with Jesus, guess what you're experiencing? Zoe life, abundant life, blessed life. It's a beautiful abundance of life. And Jesus says this in John 10, 10, but I came to give you life and life in abundance, in its fullness. And we get glimpses of this, even if you're not a Jesus follower, I still believe that we get glimpses of this type of Zoe life. For me, one of the moments that I find most precious at the moment um, is when I hug my kids. Um, when Lockie wakes up from his afternoon nap, um, I'll go in, I'll pick him up, I'll go, we'll sit on the rocking chair and we'll just sit there. Sometimes it's a minute because he's restless and he wants to get out and play. Sometimes it's 15 minutes where he just wants to kind of snuggle and be there. And we sit there in the quiet and we rock. And that moment for me, there's just something about it, right? That's when I feel the most fullest. That's when I feel the most blessed. That's when I feel that abundance of life. And that's the life that John is speaking about. That same joy, that same fullness, that same blessing I feel in the moment between myself and my kids is the same feeling we feel when we connect with life with God. The creator connecting with the created. But not only is he a life giver, he came to bring light. And Carrie kind of sparked this thought in me a couple weeks ago when she mentioned that she was still somewhat afraid of the dark. Uh, she said it in a sermon, how she, sometimes when she turns the light off downstairs, she has to run upstairs quickly. Sometimes I do that. I don't tell anybody. Um, but again, what's one of our oldest fears in humanity? The dark. It's never changed over the centuries. It doesn't matter how much technology we build or what we create. Darkness is still one of those innate fears that we as humans have. Man, children, same concept. But for a lot of us, it's not just a fear on the outside, the darkness. I'm scared of dark places. Sometimes it can merge a little bit more into a, I'm actually scared of the darkness that's in my life or the darkness that could grow if I don't fix things or if we don't work through things. But Jesus says, I am the light. And the word light is actually symbolic of truth. Jesus is light. Jesus is truth. This truth exposes and it shows the way. Jesus said, I am the ultimate truth, the ultimate light, the ultimate truth for your life. And as you start to let him into your heart, it exposes the darkness. What you choose to do with that light and darkness is your decision, but Jesus is there to open up and to extinguish that. But I must confront you with the reality here. And sometimes we don't like to hear bad news, but here's the thing. Good news only becomes good news in reference to the bad. Grace only becomes amazing grace in light of truth. Our sin doesn't make us dead to God, but it can make God dead to us. Our sin doesn't make God leave us. Our sin makes us step back from God. 
Another way I can put it, our sin doesn't make God an absent father. Our sin makes us the runaway child, the prodigal son. So this is what John's talking about here, that those who believe and accept in him get the right to be called to become children of God. Jesus came to give light and life. Last point, point number three. Jesus is the evidence and action of God's love. So verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And if we jump down to verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So all throughout history, people are asking, what's God like? What's his personality? What is his character? Those are questions that we still hear today. But all we need to do is look at Jesus. Because when Jesus came, he was God putting on flesh. So when we look at Jesus, that's what we're seeing, God. But for us, sometimes it can be easy to separate them and see them differently. God, he's the angry one who wants to judge everyone. Jesus is the, come on, dad, take it easy. Let's love them guy, right? It's easy for us to, like without even paying attention to, to understand that difference. But when we look at Jesus, that's where we see God. The personality Jesus had, the character he had, the way he treated people, the way he was around people, Jesus was God in the flesh. And why is this so important? Because when he put on flesh, two things happened. He became relatable and he became vulnerable. He doesn't know what I've been through. He doesn't know my temptations, my struggles, my trials, my internal battles. Guess what? Yes, he does. Why? Because the word, the reason, put on flesh. Everything you face, Jesus has faced every single thing. But not only that, the Bible tells us that he hasn't just been a been there, done that. Jesus has been a been there, conquered that. And again, I spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. He's conquered it all. Jesus said, no, I faced everything you face, but it didn't conquer me. I conquered it. And in relationship with me, I will help you do the exact same thing. My love will help you to do this. My power working within you will help you to do this because I have been in your shoes. I understand where you're at. I can relate to where you're at, but I also want to help. One of the greatest theologians of our time uh, was named William Barclay. He's a Scottish theologian. And he says this, and I wanted to share it with you. In many ways... This idea of pre-existence is very difficult. It's not altogether impossible to grasp, but it does mean one very simple, very practical, and very tremendous thing. If the Word was with God before time, if God's Word is part of the eternal scheme of things, it means that God was always like Jesus. Sometimes we tend to think of God as the stern and avenging, 
And we tend to think that something Jesus did changed God's anger into love and altered his attitude towards man. The New Testament knows nothing of that idea. The whole New Testament tells us this passage of John, and he's talking about John chapter 1, that God has always been like Jesus. What Jesus did was to open a window in time that we might see the eternal and unchanging love of God. So that, what that tells me is Jesus is evidence of God's love. That's what he is, evidence of God's love. Do you think that God love you? Look at Jesus. Is there anything God will not do for you? Look at Jesus. He is the evidence of it. The word put on flesh, full of faithfulness, full of love. So I want to do this as we close. I know, I know I've covered a lot of different things this morning and I totally get that. But my hope is that one or two of these things has resonated with your heart and you're like, wow. And I want you to ponder on that wow. I want to encourage you to do that this week, just to spend a little bit more time pondering about the passage of John 1 and what that might mean to you, of what it might mean to be just like Jesus. Who doesn't want to be friends with the guy who created everything and has all power? Who doesn't want to be around someone who is light, who is ultimate truth and gives me abundant truth? Who doesn't want to follow that guy? Who doesn't want to be around someone who gives me a fresh start? Who doesn't want to be around someone who is actually God's love poured out for me? The disciples didn't follow an idea. They followed a person. They didn't follow a philosophy. They followed a person. And Jesus is saying, come and do the same. Come and do the same. So if you're here this morning or joining us online, Katie's going to jump up. Um, and lead us in worship. But as we enter into a place of worship, and because I believe the response of the gospel of the good news is to go, wow, you're so good, God. Wow. The same way you went wow for the sunrise or sunset, we should all go wow with the truth of God. And that's what worship is. Worship leads us into that place. For me, it was that second song that we sung this morning. I hadn't heard that song for probably 15 or 16 <laughs> years, right? But that's a song that I grew up singing. And that song took me back. And it really gave me a wow moment this morning. Um, because, again, flood of memories of being kind of a teenager and what kind of stepping into the faith really meant. Um, so that was a wow moment. So thank you for that. But again, that's what worship is. It allows us to enter into a place where God might speak to us, where God might show us a little bit more of ourselves. So I pray that your hearts will be open this week and that you will allow God to show you what it means just to be like Jesus. Okay.